This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's business radio powered by the Warden School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm the senior editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations. We want to have those conversations with you. If you've been struggling with something running your business, especially if it involves franchising, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And let me emphasize, as always, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to the show is probably struggling with it, too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. We are going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, We want to talk about franchising, a particular slice of uh, entrepreneurship. Interestingly, not everybody considers it entrepreneurship because you're you're buying somebody into somebody else's concept. But uh, there are a wide range of opinions on that topic. If you have one, we'd love to hear it. Please give us a call. Uh, but with me today to uh, to talk this through is Edith Wiseman, president of Fran Data, a market research firm that compiles data on the performance of franchise businesses. As it has in the past, Frandata recently supplied the data to Forbes that helped us rank the best and worst franchises to buy in America. We broke them down into three categories, uh, from most expensive to least expensive. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Edith. Great to be here. Thanks, Lauren. Um, and thanks for doing this uh, fun project with us again. We uh, we always have fun doing this. It's such a... Uh, I think it's, it's a topic that a lot of people find interesting in part because so many of these businesses that we talk about are, are household names, places that we're all familiar with. I hope you enjoy it, too. Um, we do. And I think what um, what characterizes why franchising is so interesting is because I think most people have considered at one point in their life that they want to buy a franchise. And um, just a quick little story, I'm in Costa Mesa right now at a lenders conference, a small business lenders conference, and we were in an Uber um, on our way to go to dinner the other night, and the Uber driver um, was probably one of the nicest Uber cars I've ever been in, and uh, he had a business plan for a franchise that he has some investors that he's going to buy and uh, run in as soon as he finds the right site. So it doesn't matter where I go. Uh, I meet people who are either considering or are actively about to buy. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, w- w- one of the things that I've learned doing this project with you guys the last couple of years is that there's a lot more big money in franchising uh, than I realize. There's a lot of private equity money. I-, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but on both sides of the equation, both Uh, owning the businesses uh, that sell franchises and also buying franchises and operating them. Um, And it's, it's, it's a little bit less of a game for some, you know, a smaller uh, investment for a a business owner who wants to buy one or two of whatever the franchise might be. Am I right about that? So I would say that, so in some respects, yes, you're absolutely right. There is there is a lot of money coming into franchising. But what I would say is that because franchising exists in over 230 subsectors, there really is a franchise for all types of, of investors. So those that, and I think the, the initial investment categories that are profiled in the Forbes list really t- highlights that you can have opportunities where you're not investing a lot of money, so it doesn't require kind of big money private equity to to invest in a franchise. Um, so there are owner operator franchise systems uh, that you can find, and then there are you know the investments where there's hotels and it, it'll cost you fifteen to twenty million dollars. So there is an opportunity at all investment levels for all types of those who want to be owner operators, those who might want to be more absentee owners, um, and those who are more financial investors. But I think that's what's so great, Lauren, about the list is that 
it really can serve to be helpful to lots of different types of people. So there are folks who are, you know, in listening to the show who might be considering buying a franchise um, or just, you know, they love to listen to Shark Tank and they've seen a couple franchises um, profiles. <laughs> Um, or they they are franchisors themselves, and this list helps them kind of benchmark, you know, how's their performance? Um, and then, as you said, there are other private equity firms that this is a good list for them to see, oh, what are the types of opportunities that can be found in, in franchising? So it really does serve a lot of different audiences and a lot of your different reader types. So I want to talk a little bit about the list and, and what how we do it and what you found. Uh, and I also want to get to what steps someone should take if they're thinking of investing uh, in a particular franchise. Um, but um, l- let's start. Just can you walk us through the methodology a little bit? When you r- help us rate, uh, help us at Forbes rate the best and worst uh, franchises, um, what, what are you looking at? So the decision was made pretty early on to look at it from a perspective, franchisee's perspective. So there's lots of different ways to look at numbers. Um, and so this list is really driven towards what would a f- prospective franchisee want to know? And um, it also focuses on franchise systems where there's opportunity for prospective franchisees. So uh, the methodology is really designed to allow prospective franchisees to see what's the health of the system and the appeal and is there opportunity. So when you look at the list, there are some franchise systems where they only have a few hundred units. Um, or even just a a hundred units. And then at the high end, you have franchises such as Domino's that has, you know, 5,000 units. So the, the, the list does span both what we'll call, I'd say more emerging, uh, like emerging mature, kind of in that phase of getting to mature to very mature businesses, uh, franchise businesses like Domino's. So then with, to, to kind of pull out whether or not a brand and a franchise opportunity is healthy, there uh, was a, a weighting of how many franchise units are actually staying in business over a five-year period of time. So I would say that instead of rating them, what we did is we ranked them. So we ranked them against each other and allowed those that ranked better in the methodology, they came to the, the top. And um, so if they had a high percentage of their units that were continuously in operation, then they, um, then they would have ranked better um, for the, kind of the first cut of the list. Um, And then we started evaluating things like how uh, much information does a prospective franchisee have at their fingertips to be able to evaluate um, their uh, return on investment. So just a quick little stat for you. Uh, We are uh, research partners with the International Franchise Association and did a report um, last year about the percentage of franchise systems that disclose financial performance representations. And the great news is that it is um, increasing. So in 2014, there were only 52%, which is still a large number, that had um, financial performance representations. And in 2016, it was 66%. So we said there's enough information out there that we can um, help prospective franchisees determine that having working with a franchise system that gives us this information is of high value to the prospective franchisee to make a good decision. And so that is factored into the methodology this year, even more so than it has been in the past. And then um, finally is the franchisor financially healthy. You want, as a prospective franchisee, you want to make sure that the franchisor is going to be around for your uh, the life of your business to help support and R&D and um, provide with marketing assistance and training. And so uh, we look at the health of the, the franchise 
uh, franchisor financial, and then the support that they offer as well. So we're really looking at it very holistically. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Edith Wiseman of Fran Data. We're talking about franchising. If you have a question, if you're considering an opportunity, if you're uh, upset with your franchise system, if you have a comment, please give us a call. We are at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Edith, I should I should make clear if. Uh, if we've listed somebody, uh, a franchise system on this list, if it's on the best list and somebody wants to call up and thank someone, they should call up and thank me. But if they're on the worst list and they want to call <laughs> up and complain, they, they should call you. Do I have that right? Um, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, but I would I would prefer the complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> let's... Um, <laughs> Let's talk about those opportunities for somebody uh, trying to get in. Can you give us an example from the, uh, the best list and the, the one, the least expensive uh, franchises to buy in? Did anything in particular there catch your eye as uh, an intriguing possibility for, uh, for that people might want to know about? Well, I think it's um, it's I think it's important to note that we only um, showed the uh, or Forbes only showed the top. 30. Um, and there are lots of franchise systems that didn't show up on the list that what I would say almost made the list. And um, and so just because they're not on the list doesn't mean that they're not a very um, viable, interesting investment um, that might be preferable over um, the ones that are listed. And that, that probably works that, both ways, right? There, there are good systems that did not make the list, and there are probably some bad ones that did not make the list as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's lots of, of interesting um, opportunities. When we look at the lowest investment category, which is uh, basically zero to $150,000 for a startup cost, you've got a lot of different industries. So my point in saying that your business that you might be interested in investing in and starting um, may not be on this list because you may not want to be in any of these industries, right? So we've got um, home health care represented. We've got maid services represented. Um, Then we also have uh, learning and sports and painting with wine. (laughs) Painting with uh, wine? Yes. Have you not heard of this? (laughs) Explain to to us what that is. I'm not sure everybody's familiar with that concept. Sure. So uh, the, the... brand that's on the list is called Painting with a a Twist, and they have had phenomenal growth. Um, They've had, I think, 265 units um, in total across that are franchise units across the the country, and they've had a 40.5% five-year growth rate, so pretty phenomenal growth. Um, So this is a new category, and it is entertainment that brings people together, and they have templates of artwork that customers can paint along with them and they're teaching you how to paint and you have some wine along with your uh, (laughs) exercise so and it's done a lot of times with parties i've done it for a birthday um, of one of my friends and it really is fun together because you see really everybody ends up with a piece of artwork that is impressive. I mean, shockingly, I ha- do not have any talent whatsoever. And I actually kept my my painting because I thought, wow, it's not so bad. So they really break it down and make it simple for, for those of us who would love to be artistic, but just don't have an art uh, skill in our body whatsoever. <laughs> so so if somebody wants to buy into that concept, what what exactly do they buy? So they are buying um, what I call very simply a business in a box, which means that they're going to um, you're going to be able to use the name painting with a twist, which because they have 265 locations now has a brand that is meaningful in the market. Um, and then you get uh, templates of artwork and um, and the art easels that you have to, to buy and then the operating system of you know how often do you need to to market and how do you draw the customers in. Um, 
um, to be able to build up a, a viable business. So they're supporting you along the way, um, and they're going to help you with uh, selecting a site and um, figuring out uh, how to staff your location. Not necessarily, they're not telling you who to staff, but generally how many people that you'll need to run the business and um, additional training and support along the way. Let's take a phone call. John in Pennsylvania, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, how are you today? Thank you for having me on. Doing great. John, what's on your mind? I uh, represent the hospitality industry. I've been in the industry for about 20 years, and I've been at your major corporations, your uh, small mom-and-pop places around the corner and stuff, and I have realized that there's a way that we could get – there's not really an association out there for hospitality people. So essentially what we created was – it started as the premise of a union. We started to realize that we could do more we, with a nonprofit idea, but we happen to have some good marketing people involved that we've got small businesses and everything involved. And we are called Hospitality Operators and Professionals Society, or HOPS is the acronym. So what we do is promote and take even we, – we have this very relaxed approach to get our members where we know that we've created something very innovative and we know that we are kind of with the – uh, you know, people that aren't used to having the attention of what we've created over the past year. So we just host these events and we've created all these marketing ideas of uh, hospitality days. And, and I, a, a quick little fact, too, there's not a national hospitality day, but there's two national donut days. So we <laughs> actually got national hospitality day recognized. But as a small business, which is, you know, going along with the franchise and everything, too, that costs money. And we, we've got a lot of... John, let me stop you for a second. Uh, I'm not sure I fully understand the, the, the concept. You say you're uh, this is the hospitality industry. You're referring to hotels? Uh, hotels. We started with restaurants first. And your members come to you for what? What, what is it that you help them with? Resume assistance. Uh, they could, uh, anything that you could possibly think of. We do so these are people who want to work in the hospitality industry, not... Correct, or the okay. people that are in it. We're looking for our key demographic is the younger generation. You know, we kind of help anybody from a, anybody from a high school dropout that gets into hospitality or even somebody, uh, you know, the master chef that graduates from CIA. There's not a support system for them. And it's kind of a reflection of my career to kind of make changes of not only getting National Hospitality Record Day recognized, but also getting everything about hospitality and doing studies with a local university and just getting a lot of also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's what our people are, you know, our members and in our industry is about. So we work with local businesses around here to do hospitality days and try to get our people to come in. So anything hospitality related, we're trying to do because a simple Google search to us didn't find much that supports the individual member. Anybody as in our title is hospitality operators and professional society. So we represent the people that own the restaurants, but also the individual part-time bus person that just started hospitality. So do, is this franchise related because many of your members are working at franchises? Is that where you're going with well, this? we are franchising related because we know that we can't get a lot of people that are involved in restaurants. They're already working a high amount of hours. So we host these events, and we've started doing them in Pittsburgh, and we've had members and all around. But we're trying to host these events and get someone like myself that's been in the industry for 20 years to have these job fairs at night and uh, have these uh, career workshops where they can come in and talk about it and do it, you know, the nine-to-five, the banking lifestyle in some ways of having all those uh, great ways to network with people. We're essentially doing it for them. We're giving these, these opportunities to not only realize that here's a mentor that can help you through your career, but if you want to do in hospitality, if you want to stay in it, you know, career and you can make a living out of it and effectively we're trying to make that change where everybody thinks that oh i'm just working in restaurants i just want to work part-time this is not my career i've said that in my career and i've made a happy living and i've been successful in my life just because i was passionate and happy to be good about it and i want to make sure that people are in some ways the hospitality industry especially the individual restaurants that we are we're 583,000 jobs in pennsylvania alone so we wanted to represent an industry that helps people in some ways or represent the industry of the, uh, that gets people involved that used to be in hospitality. And is there, a sorry, question, is there a question we can help you with? Well, we were wondering of how we can get more members. And again, of these franchises and stuff, what would you recommend that we have, we've done everything we can. And again, we have that relaxed approach, but 
with franchising with us is going to get chapters and stuff for them. And our goal is to say that, you know, if I'm going to be leaving Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to go to a restaurant, uh, you know, to move to Pittsburgh to be closer to my family or something, I want to have chops or hops to look out for. And, okay, I'm going to go check in with hops in Pittsburgh and find, you know, some cool opportunities. Or maybe I know somebody within a membership that could help me find a hospitality job or anything possibly may be. So, um there's a lot more to it, I know, but the franchising, we're trying to get more members and get ourselves out there. And National Hospitality Day uh, will just recognize, but obviously, you know, we, we still want to get we, – we know that we're a small thing in Pennsylvania right now, but we, there, this has the potential to go everywhere in the United States. So, Edith, you know, can you help? Do you, do you see a, a value in, uh, in this service for uh, franchisees and employees? So I think that anything that brings people together to network and learn and grow is always a great resource. Um, there are some there are some associations out there that are really specific to franchise owners that are uh, or associations in the hotel industry, and they're they're pretty large, but they're not as in, like they're not inclusive of both owners and employees. So I would say that it's really helpful to be able to network with the franchisors and to see if you can get some support uh, from the franchisors to be able to provide this added value. And uh, you can also contact them directly. So Frandata, the company that I work for, we have lists of franchise owners across the country. And so you know who owns, you know, the the location on Main and Main uh, and whether they own one location or 10 locations. So there is a way to be able to to contact franchisees directly to, to, to solicit and share with them your services. Can someone do that, Edith, uh, just by going to your website, frandata.com? They would have to talk to somebody, but they could learn a little bit about it at frandata.com. John, is that helpful? Yes, very helpful. Thank you for your phone call. If you have a question about franchising, any aspect of it, if you're considering an opportunity, um, if you're uh, struggling with uh, your relationship with a franchisor, uh, please give us a call. We're at one eight four four Wharton, one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Edith, we were just uh, before the phone call. We were talking about your career as an artist and um, <laughs> the uh, the painting with a twist concept. Is there another uh, uh, concept on the uh, the least expensive list that caught your eye? So I think the I think there's a, a group of concepts that caught my eye, and that is the brands that are in the in home healthcare space, and they are just doing phenomenally well and there's there's there are a lot of those aren't there there are and uh there's a lot of opportunity because you we have an aging population and i don't know about you but my father's 83 years old and although he has no interest in anybody taking care of him (laughs) you might need someone (laughs) sometime soon and uh you know it's 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 a fight but uh it's an incredibly valuable service to feel at ease that your parents are in a comfortable space and they are being taken care of. So uh, so these are great businesses and there's there are a lot of them and there are some that are almost made the list um, that are uh, viable brands as well. So it's all about where the opportunity is. And uh, I think there's there are a few made services uh, brands on the list as well. And uh, that's an interesting uh, business. I don't know if you've heard about the association health care plans that the uh, administration is is supporting. Are you familiar with that, Lauren? Uh, are, are you talking about something that was just recently announced but has not yet been implemented that's designed that's right. to uh, pr- offer an alternative uh, health care plan uh, for small businesses? That's exactly right. And I think that the franchise industry will benefit greatly from that association health care plan. Because think about if you're a business owner and you are paying your employees uh, over the table um, and you're giving them benefits um, and you'd like to give them more benefits. And but it's, it's very expensive to be able to give your employees benefits. And you have competitors who aren't providing benefits and are paying under the table, and they're 
they're offering lower prices, it's really hard to compete. So when allowed- you're referring to uh, competitors who are paying people under the table, is, is that a, 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 a what are you referring to? Are you talking about other franchise systems that do not do things no. properly or competing with people uh, out in the wild who are so- more solo operators who don't necessarily yeah. follow all the rules? That's exactly right. More solo operators, not franchise but operators. But competition nonetheless and yes. uh, possibly an issue for someone trying to do things correctly. Absolutely. So in this case, it will really force the, those who aren't doing things properly, it will make it harder for them to retain talent because they'll get better benefits at a more professionalized organization like a franchise. And. Um, and the advantage to the uh, the franchises, obviously, it makes it easier to a- attract employees, which probably yeah. is a challenge for anybody uh, starting out, buying into a system and trying to get something off the ground. Well, I'd say in, in today's economy, it's hard for everybody <laughs> to find <laughs> good talent. Is is that something you've you've heard from people that? Uh, you know, obviously, there's an awful lot of talk about franchises from you know the, the the national franchises that we we've all heard about and paying minimum wage. You know, whether it's McDonald's or Burger King, um, that kind of issue. Um, does that go to all the way ripple all the way down through uh, most of the franchise systems that uh, are on our list? So I'd say that all businesses are are challenged these days finding good talent and uh, because the economy is is good and there's lots of opportunity and unemployment rate is low. So so all businesses struggle with this and uh, franchises are not excluded from from that. And so franchisees, they are without having, you know, generally speaking, the franchise industry is not in favor of regulation. Let the market forces work and you will see that wages are rising. And so there are a lot of franchise systems who are paying far above minimum wage because that's what the market demands. And so it's not that they're against a minimum wage. It's just against regulating an increase in the minimum wage because it affects lots of different businesses. Uh, but there are lots of franchise businesses that are paying significantly more than minimum wage as an average uh, salary to, to their employees. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit about the steps someone should take before you know taking the plunge and buying into a franchise system. Uh, if you can point us in the right a few directions on that, uh, and I also want to talk about uh, why a system ends up on a worst list. What are, what kinds of things uh, get someone there? Uh, and is it possible? Is it possible to that you can still buy into a, a, a system that's on the worst list and do well? Uh, is it possible for a system on the worst list to to get off the worst list? Um, so uh, we'll come back to that. Let's take a quick break. Our number is one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six six. Our producer Michelle is standing by. You don't need to wait. You can call right now. We'll have more on franchising with Edith Wiseman of Fran Data in just a moment. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm here with Edith Wiseman, president of Fran Data, a market research and consulting firm that recently helped Forbes rank the best and worst franchises to buy in America. You can find the company on Twitter at FranData or on the web at FranData.com. You can also Google Forbes best and worst franchises uh, to see our package and our uh, our rankings. If you have a question about fr- a franchising, give us a call. Our number is one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, Edith, somebody identifies a concept that they like. Uh, the the price seems to be right. They're interested in buying in. What do you recommend they do before uh, writing that check? Um, I would recommend that they first try and convince themselves not to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I only say that because anything that you're buying is an emotional purchase. And so people get excited when they see a brand on the best 
list and they've gone to the business and they see the lines out the door or they see, you know, if it's a daycare center or early childhood education center, they see that the classrooms are full and they get excited and they need to understand whether or not they're actually capable of being a small business owner and really challenge themselves to say, am I able and willing to give this my all? You know, some people think of franchises as buying a stock. And I would say that that if you're thinking of it in that way, unless you're a passive financial investor and someone else is operating the business, that you're probably thinking about it in the wrong way. You have to work the business. That's really interesting, uh, Edith. You know, when I asked the question, I was thinking more in terms of what someone could do to check out the uh, investment they're making, the company or the concept that they're buying into. But uh, but you suggest starting by looking inward first and thinking about whether this is right for you. Are, are there are there certain questions that you would suggest someone ask that are particular to franchising as opposed to you know opening any other kind of business where where it's totally your concept? You're the entrepreneur. You're creating everything. This is where you're you know more of a business in a box, as you said before. So I, I talked to a franchisee recently who has been wildly successful, and he has been able to transfer his business skills into franchising. And what he did is he mapped out what his future business organization would look like. And he said, I had obviously myself filled in every single role. <laughs> and the job, his job was to make sure that he got himself out of each of those roles. But what he understood is where he was, where his strengths were. So if you're looking at any opportunity, you have to realize, A, are you passionate about that business, right? So if you don't like children, you may not want to buy an early childhood education franchise like Primrose Schools. <laughs> that makes sense. You don't clean your own toilet, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> buy a <laughs> cleaning franchise. Now, I'm not saying that you need to know how to clean or you're going to be the one cleaning toilets, but you have to think of it as, is this a, a service that you think is incredibly beneficial and that if when you're starting out, you might have to go and clean a toilet <laughs> because your employees are not showing up. You know, you're dealing with a whole set of new set of challenges. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I would say is that you need to evaluate whether where your skills are relative to growing the business, right? So if you're someone who loves to be behind spreadsheets and it's a you need to grow sales, who's going to be that person who's going to get out and get the customers because it's not your strong suit. So recognizing what your strengths are and what the business needs and whether or not you're going to be able to fulfill those those needs to grow the business. So, Edith, so let me the, stop you there. We'll, we'll come back for, for more of your suggestions, but let, let's take a phone call. Uh, we have on the line uh, Jay Goltz, who happens to be a regular guest on this show. He owns a, uh, a frame shop, a picture frame shop in Chicago and a... Uh, a home furnishing store in Chicago as well. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Jay. Always happy to be here. I actually have thought about franchising over the years, and I thought I'd give a whole different perspective to what you're talking about. Um, I looked into whether I should franchise my business because my framing business got to be the biggest in the country in like five years, and I thought, oh, wow, maybe Biggest I in the country, meaning the, the largest single location. You, you right, weren't opening right, up. Right. right. So I figured I could go take some of my methodology and spread it. So I talked to a franchise consultant, and I realized that it's not a turnkey business. And, and of all the franchises out there, it really didn't make the most sense. Um, so I never did it. But I, I what, what do you mean by it? it's not a turnkey business? You're Meaning, saying um, anybody, most people could go in and say, would you like chocolate ice cream, vanilla? Here's all the flavor. Oh, you want this one? Picture framing requires having an eye and design, and it's it's it's, it's far more intense and. It's not as easy to run a picture framing business as it is to run something that's a turnkey business that you show up, you're pleasant to customers, and you scoop ice cream or you flip a hamburger or you take their information and you send a package or whatever. So I didn't do it, but I certainly over the years have thought about what is the difference between a franchise and 
uh, starting your own business, and I think I can bring up some things that people should be thinking about, which is, first of all, personality type. I don't have the personality to buy a franchise. I, over the years, have figured out that I'm a business artist, and I like creating my own thing. With that being said, there are some tremendous advantages to franchising. One, risk. I don't, do you have the statistics on what the failure rate for franchises are? Because I've got to believe it's a fraction of what it is for independently owned startups. Edith, that's a really interesting question. Do you know? So, you know, it's, it's a, a statistic that we have never uh, created. And I would say that there has been a study that was invalidated. So there isn't really good stats on that. But I think generally speaking, you can see it more anecdotally. You see that the the sport clips in your uh, your neighborhood has been in business longer, and you see that the smaller independent operator is uh, is shutting down more quickly. So there aren't stats out there for that, but I think most of us kind of see it in our neighborhood. That, yeah, that it's is safe the case. To say it's it's pro- this one's probably out there. The failure rate for franchises is probably I don't know ten twenty percent, and probably independents it's eighty percent. It's dramatically less. It's dramatically less risky because these people know what they're doing. That's why they franchise. So number one is, for sure, I don't know quality, you know, quantitatively, but quality. Let me just stop you there for a second, Jay. Edith, do you, do you agree with Jay on that, that these people know what they're doing and that's why they franchise? So I think that there are lots of different franchises, and many franchises fit that mold of what your caller is saying that they do know what they're doing and that's why the the franchise brands that are in the top list if you look at their continuity rate it's in the high 90s but there are some franchises that are starting out new so we find about one to two new franchise brands that we add to our database a day and one or two a day that's more than i would have thought yeah, so there are companies that there might be smaller and they have a successful business and they want to grow through franchising. And it's a great way to grow. And But they need to figure out that franchising is a different business than running a frame store. So that's the hardest transition for a lot of entrepreneurs. To their, They go from being an operator to now being a franchisor. And that's not an easy transition. I think that's where a lot of people fall short and um, and they may not be able to deliver on the promise that they would like to deliver on just because that's a, such a hard transition. All right, so that was my number five I was gonna go back to. I should have added one more word, good franchise. There's no question. There's plenty of bad franchises out there, but, I, but if you go to a good franchise off of your list, Clearly, statistically, your odds are much better. Number two, you have what you don't have when you're in business for yourself. You have a community. They have the yearly meetings, maybe quarterly meetings. You're sitting there with, with 50, 100, 200 other people doing exactly what you're doing in another city. That could be invaluable. Whereas when you're in Absolutely. business for yourself, I don't have that group to go to. So that, that is That's the- kind of what you were saying before, Edith, with our previous caller. Um, you're, you're exactly right. The One of the biggest value propositions, aside from the fact that you have a franchisor that's supporting you and thinking about the brand, you know, five years from now, is that you can call up the guy in Massachusetts and say, what are you doing? And a lot of franchisors, if they're good franchise systems, they'll actually put together performance groups to that are more structured that will help you get together with people, franchisees who are in similar type markets, so that you're helping each other improve your business together in a more structured format as opposed to just picking up the phone. But you can do both, so your caller is absolutely spot on. Here's another huge advantage that has been brought up. You decide to retire, you get sick, you whatever, you got a franchise, they've got someone probably ready to buy it. You're in business for yourself. Um, Lauren's Hamburger Shack, good luck trying to sell that. Um, Again, I don't have the statistics, but the amount of businesses that get sold that actually end up closing is really small in the privately owned business, whereas in a franchise system, I have to believe it's, it's, it's infinitely easier to sell it. The franchisor probably has people ready to buy it. That seems to make sense. Edith, is, is Jay right about that? Yes, and I would add one more to his point, is that that is exactly why you have 
lenders. So I mentioned earlier, I'm at a, at a small business lenders conference. Lenders love to finance franchises for that exact reason. They know that if their borrower it has any reason. So some people, their business fails because of divorce or, you know, personal health issues and, and they need to, to move on. The lender knows that there's a ready market that either the franchisor or the other franchisees in neighboring markets would want to buy the business. Okay. One last one. If you're choosing, which is great, you have your list because this goes right into that. I always tell people that are thinking to go into business or getting into business, one of your jobs is stop being naive. There's lots of bad franchises out there that have extremely disgruntled franchisors that are being sued, that are failing. Don't think because the guy's got a nice car and his store seems to be, looks nice that, oh, I'm just going to buy that one. You should call up 10 franchise owners and ask them a simple question. What do you know today that you didn't know when you bought your franchise? Because there's lots of miserable franchise owners out there, and they don't put a sign in the door, miserable, come on in. you got to ask them. But they will probably tell you. So you can't be too careful. And it's great that your list exists because that certainly has taken them, you know, probably three-quarters of the way there. But I would be checking it out real carefully. Edith, that's all that's, I got today, Lauren. Jay, thank you for your call. As always, we will be talking to you again in two weeks, I believe. Very uh, good. Thank you. Edith, Jay makes a good, a really good point. Um maybe we in the media tend to focus too much on the conflict, but you do read a lot of stories about litigation between uh, franchisors and franchisees. Um, How prevalent is that? Uh, How big an issue do you see that as? So I think it's it's brand specific. So you're going to have relationships, especially if you have thousands of them, <laughs> There's, everyone's not going to be happy. So, Lauren, imagine you had a thousand wives. <laughs> I'm with you so far. Okay. <laughs> how many How many arguments might you have? <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, if you have a thousand, you could afford to argue with, <laughs> with a few of them. <laughs> I'm not so, sure this is the best example, Edith. Let's... <laughs> Well, Besides, my wife I, I might be that. listening. <laughs> so I, I, I point that out because a franchisee-franchisor relationship is like getting married, meaning that you are working together both for a common goal, which is to improve the business, for everybody to continuously make money and, and uh, grow the business, each individual business. However, not everybody agrees. So let's talk about marketing. What person don't you know isn't brilliant at marketing (laughs) or has the next best idea as to how the business should have marketed? And marketing is one of the most commonly contested uh, issues in a franchise system. Let's stop there for a second. What what goes wrong there? Because when when a franchisee buys into a system, they know that they're going to be paying a certain amount of money. Uh, I believe usually a percentage of their revenue goes back to the home office to pay for marketing. Is that the issue or is the issue how the home office is spending that money and they disagree about marketing strategy? Yeah, they're they're disagreeing about marketing strategy. And so that's the most commonly contested because everybody thinks they're a marketing genius. And so you're you're going to have you're gonna have disagreements along the way. And so good franchise systems have forums and ways to bring franchisees into the fold to get as much agreement as one can get when you have so many different voices. So I think the realistic part of joining a franchise system is to say that you're not always going to have control over the marketing message, right? That's coming from the brand. And so you would be smart to get involved and to be involved in the marketing advisory councils or to get involved in the franchisee advisory councils so that you have a voice. Um, and that is the most effective way to do that. But to, to the earlier point that um, when people are not making money, then you're going to 
tend to have more disagreements and more lawsuits. So uh, there are fewer lawsuits when everybody's uh, happy and and, uh, and fad and, and making <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> if you have a question about franchising, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, Edith, you were giving us uh, some suggestions before. Uh, about things people should think about before buying into a franchise system. You told us, you know, the first things you raised uh, were great points about looking inward and thinking about whether this is really something you should do. Do do you have other thoughts on how you check out the system uh, that you're buying into? So... Your, so your caller made a great point. If you are an entrepreneur who doesn't want to follow uh, what other people tell you to do, then franchising is definitely not for you <laughs> so, <laughs> because you do have to follow a system. And a lot of franchisees are not successful because they want to do their local marketing different. So they're paying people to create collateral to then get approved by the franchisor. So you're talking time, money, and and those those folks uh, realize very quickly that they're not being successful because they're not following the system. So so that was a really great point by your caller. And the other point was doing your homework and not allowing the emotional excitement of owning your own business to kind of crowd out the the analytical side of what is it going to actually take and talking to franchisees about, you know, would you do this again? And what were the keys to your success? How long did it actually take for you to ramp? A lot of franchisees don't ramp as quickly as they anticipated because they thought that they would be more successful right out of the gate. And so you have to know what the, the curvature of the uh, ramp of the business is. If a fr- talking to franchisees will get you that. If a franchise system tells you, um, you know, has requirements about, you know, what you have to spend, to, uh, obviously, to buy into the system, but also capital requirements in terms of how much money you have to have available to ramp up, as you uh, describe, uh, do, do you find that they're usually accurate about that? Um, is it uh, if they tell you, you this is what you need, is that what you need or is it important to have more? So I would say that more mature franchise systems have this down pat, meaning that what they're estimating is is, is going to be spot on or very close to it. With your newer franchise systems, they haven't had as much experience going into different markets to know what the cost variations are. And if they don't have the recommended suppliers to be able to say, you know, this this construction guy, when he works with our franchisees, he's usually spot on in terms of, of the costs that we're projecting. So for newer franchise systems, there tend to be more cost overruns, and um, and especially if they're new people in, in business for the first time, too. So, so I would say that you want to work with franchise systems that have some recommended suppliers so that you can be more assured that you're going to come in what the startup costs are projected to be. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, uh, the worst list. Uh, you, our package, which again, uh, those of you listening, if you want to see our best and worst list, all you have to do is Google Forbes best worst franchises. Um, you wrote a post uh, that's part of the package, uh, Edith, that asked the question, uh, is it the kiss of death to be on the worst list? Uh, what's your answer to that question? So the answer is that it's not the kiss of death. And there are franchisees who are part of these franchise systems that are doing very well. So what the brands who are ranked at the bottom, what it shows is that they've had the most amount of um, the decline in their system and they've been their continuity rate is is lower than their peers and maybe you should so, explain what continuity rate means yes thank you uh so it is a success metric that measures the percentage of units that are or businesses that are continuously in operation over a period of time so they have not gone out of business over and we looked at a five-year period 
Got it. So on the plus side, all of the brands that are ranked at the bottom, they all hit a metric that a lot of franchise systems don't hit, which is that they had to have at least 50 units at the beginning of the period. So just to give you some perspective, 64%, I think it is, of franchise brands have fewer than 20 units. So they have a greater number. At one point, they had had a greater number of units than what 64% of the, the franchise population actually has. So they had achieved growth, and then something happened, and there, there are lots of things that could have happened. So there's industry changes. So I mentioned in the, the post real estate. So during the recession, housing um, crisis, that real estate industry went through a change. And so a lot of the real estate companies had to change their business model, consolidate offices. And so as a result, many franchisees are no longer in business who were um, back then. So there are kind of systemic issues within an industry, and then you have individual just franchise performance issues. So the industry is otherwise healthy, and there are other brands that are growing and doing very well, but they themselves had either operational issues, franchisee franchise or relationship issues, or their product has just gone out of favor. So there's lots of different reasons why a brand might end up on the, the bottom of the ranking. We're running short on time, but let me ask you, is, is there sometimes opportunity in that kind of uh, chaos and, uh, and you know, failure? Is it possible that uh, there is a good buy on the worst list because, you know, maybe prices come down and uh, an individual franchisee can actually do well? Absolutely. If you are a turnaround uh, specialist, and you want to go uh, look for opportunities, there may be some franchisees that, uh, that might be looking to exit that you could turn around. But I mentioned that just because they're on the worst list doesn't mean that, that their, their business is, is bad. So uh, I mentioned Fazoli's. Fazoli's was on the, the worst list two years ago. And they had recently been purchased, I believe, by a private equity firm. And they were changing everything and revamping the business, putting more money into it. And they have had uh, same-store sales increases and guest traffic increases. And so they, they've been able to kind of come out of their uh, status as uh, being at the bottom of the list and working their way up towards the top. So, so just because a brand is on the worst, I would look under the hood. There are some other examples as to how do you know whether the brand is going to be able to resurrect themselves and, and uh, have better performance over time. Edith Wiseman, thank you so much for joining us today and for helping us with the uh, best and worst franchise list at Forbes. Thanks, Lauren. It's been a pleasure. If you want to learn more about Edith and Frandata, go to frandata.com, or you can follow them on Twitter, at Frandata. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but we're here live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, if, uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter, at L Feldman. If you liked what you heard here, you might also check out Forbes.com slash entrepreneurs. My thanks to audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. Until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, powered by the Warden School, Sirius XM 111. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 